Good morning, church. So good to be with you today. Let me just, I know your host already said this to you, but I want to say it on the stream to all of the campuses. Uh, today is week two of the advanced track, and your campus pastor will give you the details. But, but I want you to hear that it's okay to do these out of order. You could pick up today with week two and then do three, four, and then catch one uh, on the backside. And it's a class designed to help you advance in your journey with Christ, to help you find your place and your purpose in this world. And uh, we, we want to help you in those ways. So I want to encourage you to do that. In addition, I also want to celebrate today 123 Decisions for Christ last Sunday in our churches across Tulsa. 123 uh, Decisions for Christ. And if that's you, if you're back here today, can I just say to you, congratulations. We're so proud of you. That's the wisest decision you could ever make to trust Christ, to take steps of obedience with Christ. And so we're so glad. Welcome to the kingdom of heaven and welcome to uh, the local church. We're glad you're here. Now, I don't want to date myself, but I remember back in college, and this year happens to be my 30-year high school reunion, which is crazy because I remember thinking 30-year-olds were old. And I've been out of high school for 30 years. And as... I remember going to college and going into those first weeks of, of classes and the professor handing what's called uh, a syllabus out to all of us. And, and the syllabus uh, was, you know, what's going to happen and how the class is going to play out and uh, the, how many you can miss and all of that, those facts. But they, they always did something that I found in those days a bit weird. They would hand out the requirements and the list of requirements. And what they would do is kind of give you some insider information, which I quite honestly appreciated this insider information. And the way that the syllabus went, some professors would do it this way, that if you want to A in this course, these are the things that you have to do. And if you want to B in this course, you, you only have to do these things. And if you want to C, you know, you only have to do these. And it's not just academics that that kind of list plays out in. Athletics is the same way. There's some of you cheer for football teams that would be grateful with six wins. My Razorbacks would be praising God in heaven for six wins, Right. <laughs> There, there are other of you who cheer for teams that they, they just want double digits. If we can get 10 wins every season, then that's all we want. And then there are other uh, teams that are satisfied with nothing less than a national championship. And it's not just academics and, and, and athletics. It turns out that many Christians are on that very same track with God. That, that if you want to be a minister, here are the things that are required. And if you want to be a leader in the church, you can step down a notch. And he, here's what's required. If, if you just want to sit in a pew, you know, here are the things that are required. And if you just want to get into heaven, that you you can skate by by just doing this. And, and, and somehow we kind of figured that Billy Graham was on the gifted and talented program and we could never get to that level. But when we understand that it is about a relationship and not a religion, we are able to shoot past all of those expectations and all of those requirements that have been superimposed on us. And, and last week we said that religion leads to a dead end. And there's a couple of positive dead ends that it can lead to. One, one is the dead end of self-trust, and, and the second is the dead end of self-effort. We also said God does not have a list of requirements for, for us to follow. We obey God because He loves us and because we, we love Him. And, and you need to know today that the truth is you can obey and not love. But you can't love and not owe 
obey. And the fact is, is that God has done all the work beforehand to give us an A. And it's not up to us to do anything to earn that. But now that he has given us the A, we should start living like A students, what he has declared over us. The Bible says this about the Lord, that we should taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Those are such experiential words, right? That we would taste and see. And and every time I read that verse, I think back to when my kids were little and we were graduating from baby food uh, to to real food. You remember that journey? Uh, My son Eli, who was leading worship up here this morning, he always looked like a Native American Indian with war paint on. But because it was never a a, a cooperating process, you'd miss his face and the sweet potatoes would be everywhere. But when he trans transitioned uh, to, to real food, to real mashed potatoes. I'm not talking about from a box, but I'm talking about like a real potato that you mash and, and, and real steak and real hot dog and real hamburgers and all of those things. He would never go back to the baby food. And the same thing is true about grace, that once you have tasted the life of grace, then the life of legalism and the life of religious rules will make you sick. It will, it will turn your stomach. You will never want to go back to it. How many of you just show of hands at all campuses have heard of what's known as the Mandela effect? Would you just raise your hand? Okay, some of you have heard of the Mandela effect. The Mandela effect is, is this phenomenon where uh, the truth is not what people remember. That people remember something opposite or different than the truth. And the reason it's called the Mandela effect is because uh, although Nelson Mandela actually was released from prison, went on to be the president of South Africa, most of us have a memory of Nelson Mandela dying in prison, which is not what happened to Nelson Mandela. In fact, the internet is flooded with these things that uh, we we call affected by uh, the Mandela effect. Let me show you a couple of them. How many of you uh, know what Oscar Mayer is? You bought it, you purchased it, you ate it, you wondered what it was. This is not how you spell Oscar Mayer. In fact, it's Oscar Mayer is the name of it. And we all think this is right, but it turns out that's not right. This is actually how they spell the name. Let me show you another one. Sex in the City. How many of you repented to God for watching that show on TV over and over and over again? Do you know that that's not the title of the show, Sex in the City? The title of the show is Sex and the City. And uh, so, for those of you who were inquiring minds, now you know. Uh, How about the Berenstein Bears? How many of you loved reading those uh, to your children when they were kids? The Berenstein Bears? Turns out they weren't Jewish. It's not Berenstein Bears. It's Berenstain Bears. And who knew? That one got me uh, for sure. I I think we have uh, one more. How many of you love Jiffy Peanut Butter? Do you know there's no peanut butter called Jiffy Peanut Butter? It's called Jiff Peanut Butter. And what you did is you confused Skippy with Jiff, and you called it Jiffy. And and today, uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to consider, just want you to consider, that there are some things that you have assumed, learned, or even been taught that are incorrect. And as a pastor, on numerous occasions and vulnerable moments in my office, somebody will say to me, Pastor, I just can't do it. I'll say, you can't do what? I just can't live the Christian life. To which I ask, well, what is living the Christian life? In fact, let me ask you today, what what is living the Christian life? If I were to ask you that question and ask you to write two sentences about what it means to live the Christian life, what what would you write down? And over and over and over again, this is what I've heard over the years. Well, it's about making him number one in my life, to which I would ask another question. What does that mean? 
What does it mean, making him number one in your life? Well, I guess what that means is that I would do what Jesus would do in every situation. To which, if you have any sense at all, you would reply and go, I can't do that. I can't do that. In my work, I can't do that. My work is filled with impossible situations every day. I, in my marriage, I'm not sure what Jesus would do if he was married to, to my spouse, right? And I'm going to talk about my spouse. I'm going to talk about your spouse, right? And, and, and so the, the, these answers to these questions really are a, a generalization of what many people believe about living the Christian life and our ability to do it. And we are convinced, we are convinced that we have accurately diagnosed the problem and we know the correct prescription uh, for the problem. And what if I were to tell you today that Jesus doesn't want to be your number one? He doesn't want to be number one. And that whole idea of making him number one in your life, that whole mentality could really be a big part of your problem. See, if, if you think that Jesus wants to be your number one, and the implication of that is that there is a number two, you need to understand Jesus ain't playing. He, he doesn't want to be your, your number one. He wants to be your life. In fact, look at a couple of New Testament scriptures. Look at what Luke tells us over in the book of Acts. Uh, in him we live and move and have our being. Live and move and have our being. That's pretty much all of life, right? We live and move and have our being. Listen to what Paul tells us in Philippians. To live is Christ. Over in Colossians, he says, Christ is our life. Now, what if I told my wife, Meredith, hey, you were my number one girl, my number one baby, my number one honey, my number one boo-thang, whatever. I would never, never would I say that to her. Unless she begged or what, I, I wouldn't do that, right? And, and, and so, if that means that she is my only one, then that's great, right? But, but if that means she's number one and Felicia is number two and Tanya is number three, and, and, and you say, why would you choose names like that? Because look how dark I am. And, and, and so, there, there's going to be trouble if that's what that means. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you today? If it means she's number one and so-and-so's number two and so-and-so's number three, there will be trouble in my household. Listen, he wants to be not the first of many gods in your life. He wants to be the only God in your life. And many people think the essence of Christian living means finding out what the Bible says and then striving to do it. And many people are hoping to get to heaven one day because they are striving to live out the Bible. And the same believer that knows that she can't come uh, uh, to Christianity and become a Christian by working for God now thinks that the Christian life revolves around working for God. But hear me, trying to live for God is about as profitable as trying to become a Christian. And let me just give you a quote by this guy uh, named Robert in, in a book called Graceland. Listen to what he says. The subject of grace, the subject of grace has suffered so much neglect that people inside and outside of the church find that it, the subject of grace, contradicts all they understand about religion. And the biggest area of neglect in the subject of grace revolves around this question, how do we live the Christian 
life. And many people know that we come to God not through any work of our own, but through a personal relationship. But for some reason, after the relationship is initiated, we abandon the relationship and we go back to trying to do it all on our own. And that whole mentality and that whole wrong way of thinking, it's called legalism. It's called legalism. It's the religion of legalism. And the Israelites, hear me, them moving out of Egypt and out of slavery into the promised land is a picture of what God wants for believers today to leave the land of religion and the land of rules and the land of the law and to come into the land of grace. And just like God told Joshua in chapter 3 and verse 4, you have not passed this way before. To live in grace is to experience a brand new way. And to live in grace is to go somewhere you've never gone before. And to live in grace is to live out the reality of who we are in Jesus Christ. And and so what if I told you that much of what you've learned about living the Christian life is wrong? And what if I told you that much about what you believe is actually wrong? And what if I told you that what religion has said is the answer to living out an overcoming Christian life is wrong? And what if there is a brand new way to live out the Christian life in a different way than you have ever known before? And in order to get there, you got to continually ask yourself a couple of questions, okay? And so write these questions down because you ought to ask yourself these questions all the time. And here's the first one. What do I believe? What is it that I believe? Because misbelief, by the way, is the leading factor of all the dilemma in your life. Because how you believe causes you to think a certain way and how you think causes you to act a certain way. If you want to diagnose the actions, you got to go back to the thoughts, which will go back to the beliefs. What do I believe? Because we have all been born, all of us, into a culture full of religious ideas, but they all seem to share one main aspect in common. Every religion teaches and emphasizes that our favor with God is maintained through a specifically defined behavior. Now, remember what I said we're talking about today is a major paradigm shift, a major paradigm shift. And the whole thing is being turned on its head to embrace that our behavior has absolutely nothing to do with gaining or staying in favor with God is a big jump. For, for, for most of us. L- listen to what this author says. Uh, he says, it's not so much what we don't know. It's what we think we know that obstructs our vision. How many of you, just show of hands, all campuses, how many of you remember being told by your parents and, and they were told by doctors and physicians and, and scientists and everybody else in the world that after you ate, you had to wait an hour before you could swim or you would die? How many of you remember this? I remember sitting at the picnic table in my bathing suit after I finished the hot dog and the Lay's barbecue chips having to wait. I feel like those doctors owe me a decade of swimming time. (laughs) But then somewhere along the way, uh, some doctor comes out and says, not true, that that was a lie. There's a phenomenon all over social media the last few months that's called, I was today years old when. Anybody seen that before? And, and, And what it means is I was today years old. In other words, today was the very first time I learned fill in the blank. I saw one this week, actually. I did not know this. Three days ago, I was today years old when when I learned that the bottom of a Gatorade bottle is designed to hold the lid. How many of you knew that? 
I never knew that. I've been gypped off. I've lost the lid many times, actually. <laughs> Spilled it all over the golf cart because I drive like a bat out of not heaven, right? <laughs> and spill it all over the place. And, and so what I'm telling you is that believing that the will of God is a list of difficult things that God wants you to do or not do is like that. And my prayer for you, our prayer for you through this series is that though you thought you had the truth, that you would wake up and realize that was all a lie. That's what we're praying for you. And your focus needs to move away from lists of do's and don'ts and sin. In fact, the Bible says when you focus on sin, it makes you want to do it all the more. You don't need to focus on sin. You need to focus on the truth. And religion has painted this portrait of God that he's mean and he's demanding and he has a red pen in your hand, in his hand, and he's going to mark up your paper. And that type of picture of a religious God causes people to run. They run from God. They run from churches and they run from the grace of God. And instead of running from this mean God, we need to look at Again and actually look at him and see him for who he is, a loving God. And when we see him for who he is, we will run to him and we will run into his arms. And here's the question, would you be willing to accept that some of the ideas about the Christian life that you have held to as truth may not be grounded in the Bible and may not be grounded in reality that the grace of God is actually better than we think and the grace of God is actually bigger than we've ever imagined. And in order to gain this expanded understanding and appreciation of the grace of God, we must be willing to admit we may not have everything correctly sorted out. And we may not know everything. And I know that's a tall order for most of us to admit we don't know everything. I live with three females. Four if you count the dog. Listen, but we have to get to the point where we can agree. I may not have everything correctly sorted out in my belief system. And sometimes we're like the fisherman who keeps throwing the big fish back and keeping the little ones. And when asked, why do you throw the big ones back and keep the little ones? Our answer is, is, well, the big ones don't fit in our frying pan. Hear me, to contain the larger truths of God's grace and to somehow to keep everything categorized in our little brains, we become functional legalists. I, I want to give you a quiz. Here's what I want you to do. Get out your phone, get out a piece of paper, number one to ten, okay? Uh, pop quiz, okay? How many of you remember that? Oh, dear Jesus, pop quiz. My kids are like, I, I did a bad grade on that. I said, well, why? And they said, it was a pop quiz. That, that's the whole point, right? You should study knowing that there's going to be a pop quiz or thinking there might be a pop quiz. If I was a teacher, I'd give one every day. It wouldn't be pop. It would be, here we go, right? You should have studied. You should have learned. But number one to 10, I'm going to make it easy on you today. It's multiple choice. Every one of the answers. We like multiple choice better than you got to come up with the answer out of your behind, right? And so multiple choice, only two options, A and B. Okay, only two choices. You got a 50% chance on every single question. And, and if you didn't understand 50% chance, you should go back and take school. All right, uh, num number one, number one, who are you? Who are you? A, I am a sinner saved by grace, or B, I am righteous and growing in my maturity. Okay, number two, I spend time with God because A, it is what I should do, or B, because I am like Jesus. Okay, number three, I share Jesus with others because A, people are dying and going to hell. 
or B, because I am righteous. Okay, number four, I am glad I'm saved because A, I'm going to heaven and not hell, or B, because I have a relationship with Christ. Okay, number five, and we're halfway done. I read the Bible to A, see what God expects of me, or B, to fellowship with with my maker, okay? Number six, my actions as a believer yield spiritual results. A, true, B, false. Seven, do you look at the Christian life as being easy or hard? A, hard, B, easy, okay? Number eight, Do words like rest, easy, and light describe your lifestyle? A, no. B, yes. Okay? Number nine, to be a good Christian, you should attend church, pray, read the Bible, and witness to others. A, true. B, false. Okay? Number 10, to grow, I A, rededicate, or B, I realize. Now, If you put A on any of those answers, you may be a legalist. And you may be shocked that you are a legalist. But the people around you are not. (laughs) And, and, And listen, if that's you, what you need to do is renounce the old you got to renounce it and shake it off. you got to shake off legalism. In fact, what you need to do is you need to shake it off like a dog coming out of the lake and get it off of you. Renounce a religious system that says you have to try harder. Listen, in case you think I'm teaching heresy, I'm not. Listen to the very words of Jesus. Come unto me, all of ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That does not sound to me like what Jesus wants for you is for you to strive, labor, and work for it. It sounds to me like Jesus wants to do it for us. And so you ask the question, what do I believe? You follow that question up with this question, is it true? Is what I believe actually true? In fact, another way to ask that is, what does the Word say? What does the Bible say? Find out what the Bible really says about us, not what you think the Bible says. And by the way, look at this truth uh, summary over Scripture. When we look at Scripture, we see that there is nothing, say nothing. There is nothing a believer can do to cause God to love them any less. Many of you know that. But you do know that this is true also, and there is nothing a believer can ever do to cause God to love them any more. Why? Because he already loves you with a perfect love. Listen, I said this new way of life that looks past religion to to grace is a big paradigm shift for many of us. And these adjustments in our belief system, they have to be governed by the Bible. They they can't be governed by some sort of indoctrination that we have received from some sort of religion. But hear me, the Bible is totally trustworthy. Which would you rather trust, the Bible or religion? I'm going with the Bible every single time. And you ask church people out there on the street that that, that want to argue this stuff, right? And they want to say, no, it can't be grace. You can't do that. By the way, this is not new. 
Paul faced the same accusations, right? If you tell people that, they'll go do whatever they want to do. Exactly. Listen, no, they didn't understand the grace of God. When they understand the grace of God, it's I want to love him because he loves me, not so that he will love me, right? I'm not working for God. I am already fully accepted by God. But you ask these people out here, the church people out on the street, well, what do you believe? Well, I believe what my church believes. Okay, well, what does your church believe? Well, my church believes what I believe. Okay, what do the two of you believe? The same thing. Listen to me. Anything that we have been taught is fair game for critical scrutiny. Are you willing to have your mind changed about some of the things that you have always believed? Well, well, we as Christians, hear me, listen, all of those Christians, by the way, I'm not shooting them. I I just want them to be set free. I'm not questioning motive at all. I think they want to live a godly life. But the problem arises when we believe that the way we live determines our righteousness. And our righteousness, according to the scripture, only comes from God. It is a gift from God. And the truth is when you came to Jesus and when you believed, your spirit, hear me, was made new. It was made righteous. It was made perfect and it was made complete. And you got to let that get in here. And let that get in here. Galatians. Turn in your Bible to Galatians. I want to look at one passage. I just want to walk through one passage today. And Galatians, while you find it, is a letter about grace. That's what it's about, okay? Galatians is about grace. In fact, let me give you a couple of working definitions of of grace. Grace, first of all, is God's favor to undeserving sinners. It's not God's favor to those who act righteous. It's God's favor to undeserving sinners. And here's the easiest way to remember what grace is. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what grace is. God's riches at Christ's expense. And in this book called Galatians, Paul is telling us you cannot mix law and grace. You cannot mix works and grace. The two simply will not go together. They are mutually exclusive. Now, let me give you some context to the book of Galatians in case you haven't studied it before. Uh, There was a group in history when this book was written called the Judaizers. The Judaizers were Jewish people who became Christian. Now they were believing in Christ. And they were now telling other Jews who were becoming Christian and other non-Jews or Gentiles who were becoming Christian, in order to be really saved, they have to follow all of the rules. And they got to return to the Jewish law and become Jewish first, and then they can be saved and become Christian. And it's fine that they're saved, but now we're going to add the law to, to their lives. For example, circumcision. We talked about this a few weeks ago. You remember the ladder? We want to put the bottom rungs on on the ladder. And so Galatians chapter one, let's pick up in verse six. Okay. That's where I want to start reading. Verse six. Paul says, I am shocked. I'm shocked that you are turning away from God so soon that who in his love and his mercy called you to share in eternal life that he gives us through Christ. Look, Look at what he says. You are already following a different way that pretends pretends to be the good news, but it is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who twist and change the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse 
fall on anyone, including myself, who preaches any other message than the one that you were told about. Even if an angel were to come down from heaven and, and, and preach another message, let him forever be cursed. He doesn't stop. He says, I'm going to say it again. If anyone preaches any gospel other than the gospel that you heard and trusted in, then let God's curse fall on that person. Hear me. Paul is not accusing them of switching churches. And he's not accusing them of moving their membership. He is accusing them of abandoning the grace of God. They were deserting the very grace of God that saved them to begin with. And in verse 7, it says they were twisting the truth. They, They were changing the truth. Another translation reads this way. They were perverting the gospel. And they were trying to change the very nature of truth. And Paul tells them what it was doing to them. And he tells us what it does to us when we do the very same thing. It says it, he said it throws you into confusion. It causes you trouble. And Paul is so upset with these Judaizers that they are twisting the truth. That everything Paul taught these new believers it, it is now being distorted. And these Judaizers were stealing the peace that they had in their hearts. Grace leads to peace. It leads to peace. They go together. In fact, in almost all of his uh, introductions to his, his letters, he says grace and peace to you. His greeting in all of the letters that he wrote in the New Testament, grace and peace to you. He's saying you are saved by grace, but hear me, you also live by grace. Go over to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. But whatever I am now, it's all because God poured out his special, say it with me, grace. Say it again. He poured out his special grace on me and not without results. For I have worked harder than all the other apostles, to which all the legalists go, there it is. Yeah, I worked harder. No, no, keep reading. Yet it was not I, but it was God who was working through me by his grace. Church, listen to me. The test of my ministry one day is not going to be how many people came. It is not going to be how many campuses we had. It's not going to be did we meet budget. It's not going to be how many Instagram followers do I have. It's not going to be how many books did I sell. Hear me. The test will be my faithfulness to the word of God. And Paul said, whoever twists the truth deserves destruction. And in Paul's day, their message was the gospel plus Moses. And in our day, legalism is the gospel plus all sorts of things. Listen to me, hear me, write this down. When a sinner is born again, he is made free. And he has been redeemed. It means you have been purchased by Christ. You have been set free. You are no longer in bondage to sin. You are no longer in bondage to religion. You are no longer in bondage to any human system. Look look at what he goes on to say in Galatians 5. So Christ, if, if Christ has really set us free, now make sure you stay free. Now why would he say that? Because it's possible to be set free and go back into slavery. What kind of slavery? Make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Now listen what John tells us in verse eight, chapter 8, verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will indeed be free. Now there's a great theological word found in both of those verses I just gave you. And depending on your uh, translation, you've seen this word in the Bible. The word is called justification. 
Justification. And depending on what translation you use, you see this word all all throughout the Bible. I want to give you a definition of justification. It's the act of God where he declares the believing sinner righteous in Jesus Christ. Listen, if sin is living independent of God, righteousness is living dependent uh, 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 upon God. So I want to walk you through this definition, one phrase at a time, the, the act, the act. What what does that tell us? It means it's not a process. Justification is not a process. Glorification may be a process. Sanctification may be a process. Justification is not a process. It is a one and done with God. Hear me and, and mark this in your heart. No believer is more justified than any other believer. Now let that into your theological box and into the little bitty frying pan. No believer is more justified than any other believer. Look look at Romans 5. Having therefore been once and for all justified by faith, we have peace with God. So so it's an act. It's an act of God. An act of God. Meaning that it's not the result of your character. And it's not the result of your work. It's not the result of your striving and your trying. Look look at what Romans tells us in chapter 8. It is God who justifies. So the law was given to Moses, hear me, to reveal sin. That was the point of the law, to reveal it. The point of the law was never to redeem sin. Listen, the law is good and it's holy and it's the Bible. And we should read it. We should memorize it. We should uh, understand that there's truth in it. But the law is completely helpless when we look to it for redemption. It was not meant for redemption. It was meant to reveal that redemption is needed. Now, Now look at what he says, sinners, sinners. In other words, it's not for good people. It's for the worst of people. It's for sinners. It's for us. Romans 4 verse 5, God justifies the ungodly. He does not justify the godly. He justifies the ungodly. The the law declares us sinners, but God declares us justified and righteous. The guilty sinner is declared not guilty and is never guilty again. Do, do, Do you hear me? The guilty sinner is declared not guilty and is never guilty again. It is not just forgiveness. Not just forgiveness. Forgiveness is good, but that's not what we're talking about. But because a person could be forgiven, go sin again and be guilty again. And it's not just pardon either, because a pardon sinner still has a record. The act of God is that he declares sinners justified and righteous. That's the act of God. And, and so earlier we took that quiz, and I, I don't know how you did on the quiz. How many of you would confess you marked an A on at least one question? Some of you raising your hand, you've been sitting with me for 10 or 15 years. I wonder if you've been listening for the last 10 or 15 years. L- l- listen. I don't know how you scored on it, but I want to give you like three more questions. And I want you to ponder these and I want you to write these down. And I'm going to tell you, if you will learn to wrestle with these questions on a daily basis, it will bring life to your life. Number one, am I walking in the freedom of grace? Freedom. Am I free 
to enjoy Christ and to become what He has determined me to be. Am I free? And by the way, it's in enjoying Christ that you become what He has determined you to be. Here's the second question. Am I trying to mix law and grace? Am I trying to mix them? Let, let, let me just uh, illustrate this for you if I could. If I were making you an omelet, and I started with one rotten egg, How many good eggs would it require before you would eat this omelet? How many of you say two? How many of you say five? How many of you say ten? How many of you say there's no limit? I'm not eating it. This is what the devil is trying to get you to do. He's trying to get you to mix some law and some rules and some religion with the amazing grace of God. And as a child of God, listen, you have got to be in a continual pursuit to continually experience all that Jesus died to provide you with. That kind of freedom. And, and, and so ask yourself on a regular basis, am I mixing law with grace? Because there's not any amount of law that doesn't pollute the amazing grace of God. Now flip the illustration and, and, and view the eggs as your sin and your good. Over the course of your lifetime, one sin, one, one rotten egg followed by a life of good eggs and, and, and obedience. You're still a sinner. And, and for those of you who, who are pondering everything I've said today, and you just can't quite make it fit, and it's not really making sense, and it's not... It's just not quite clicking. I, I, I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I really saved by the grace of God? Am I really saved by grace and grace alone? So I'm really trying. That's not what I asked. I, I remember praying a prayer. It's not what I asked. I, I remember filling out a card. I remember being baptized. I, I remember filling the blank with whatever you want to fill it in with. 
And if you were saved by anything other than grace, you're not saved. There's only one way. And it's the same for you and me and the people in Egypt and the people in Jordan and the people all over the world. It's the exact same path. Jesus is the only path to the Father. Because one sin in the omelet makes you a sinner. And a holy God cannot be in the presence of sin. But what he did is sent his son to shed his blood so that the sinner can be saved and can be transformed into a saint. And you got to ask yourself that question. Am I really saved by the grace of God? Did I receive the gift of the grace of God? That's all you can do is receive it. And if you're counting on anything else other than you simply receiving what God wants to give you, you're counting on something that will not save you. Would you ponder that question and would you bow your heads and close your eyes all across the church this morning? As you bow your heads and close your eyes, I really want you to open your heart and, and, and ponder that question, am I really saved by grace? And if the answer is no, I want to help you receive that gift today. You may be a first-time visitor. This may be the first time that you've ever been to our church. Somebody invited you and you came, and and today is going to be the day of salvation for you. I believe with all of my heart this morning that God spoke to me that there's going to be people who have grown up in church who are going to realize they have not been saved by grace. They've been saved by a false gospel. And today you need to receive a gift, a free gift from God Almighty. Either way, if you want to give your life to Jesus, trusting the grace gift of his salvation, I want to lead you in a prayer. You just repeat it after me. You're going to hear men and women praying out loud all around you, right where you're seated. You want to receive this grace gift. Would you just say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. Today I ask you to forgive me for all my sin. I receive your gift, your son Jesus, and salvation in the best way that I know how. I'm not trusting myself, and I'm not trusting my life. I'm receiving the gift of salvation. And I want to thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You you just prayed that prayer, and maybe you're like the one I said, that you you just came in, this is your first time here. You've been visiting a couple of weeks, and you you just crossed that line. Or maybe you've been in church your whole life, and, and you just received grace. But you feel like you just received the gift from God. Would you just raise your hand all across the room and let me see it? Just say, Pastor, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. you slip it up. Thank you. Lots and lots of hands. Every campus. Just slip it up for, for our campus pastors to see. Anybody else? Now, listen, if your hand just went up, can I just say to you, congratulations. Wisest decision you could ever make to receive that gift today. And in a moment when I say amen, I'm going to ask you at your campus to take that connect card in front of you. 
and fill it out, but there's a box on there that says, I just prayed to become a Christian. I want you to check that box. And at the door of every campus, there should be some buckets you can drop it in, or you can go to a guest reception where me or one of the pastors will be there and just bring the card. Just bring the card and say, hey, pastor, I receive salvation today. I receive the gift today. I receive grace today. And to you, we say congratulations. And in Jesus' name we pray. And together we all say amen. And we thank the Lord today for salvation, for saving people, for doing what only he can do. And and so if you're a guest today, listen, uh, stop by. Just pass the coffee shop on the left. I'll be there. We have some staff members there. You want somebody to pray with you or pray for you. Uh, You just have questions. Just stop by uh, there on your way out if you would. Gospel. Can we give Pastor Alex a hand? Such a wonderful message, amazing message.